morning. How are we doing? We're here? Raise your hand if you're here. All right, we're some of us. Okay, my name's Darren. Grab a Bible, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you are new, welcome. There's some Bibles. Dan's going to pass them out. Raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. It's page 758 in the green Bibles. We are going to look at a couple of verses, so grab your Bible and we'll jump in. I'm going to read this. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And he's hanging out with his disciples, his boys, and, and his ladies. And he's uh, sharing all the things. And it says that he was teaching on the kingdom of God. And then in verse 8, um, right before this, they're concerned about whether or not he was going to establish the kingdom to Israel. And he says this to them in verse 8. Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his closest followers that they are to be representatives of him on earth. This is the call for every single disciple. If you are here and you're Catholic or Anglican, or non-denominational, Pentecostal, it doesn't matter. If at some point in your life you've said, I accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord, He is God, He has been raised from the dead, the job description you have been given is to represent Him everywhere you go, period. This is the mission of the church, to be representatives, to be witnesses of the resurrection with our lives. And that, that story... That that invitation is to be spread is to spread around at the coffee shops. It's to go into our homes, and the way we talk and live with our spouses. That life of resurrection is supposed to spread to our neighbors. It's supposed to spread to the cracks of society, to the communities that we live in. It's supposed to reveal to God. I'm sorry, revealed to the world that there is a living God. Are you with me? It's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? It's a pretty, pretty amazing invitation. I want to suggest that anything that is true of Christianity is true for humanity. Anything that is true for Christianity is more true for humanity. And that the invitation here is not to just live as Christian, but to live as fully human. That to represent God was the plan from all along. It's been the plan from the beginning. So go to Genesis chapter 1. I want to remind us of something we might be familiar with, but this in, in many ways is a very similar calling. So our goal is to represent God to all of the earth. That's what it means to be a witness of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Um, in, in the beginning, it says in Genesis chapter 1, it's page 1 in the Green Bibles. Um, God, it could have been like 2 or 3, we don't know. It says this, um, that God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and He says it's good. And then He says at one point in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along on the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and make babies, fill the earth 
and subdue it. That's what it really means. Um, (laughs) Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and everything, every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, so God creates humanity in His image, not male in His image, not just female in His image, but male and female, all of mankind, community is made in the image of God because we know as, as followers of Jesus that God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God in Himself, in His very nature and essence, is community. Are you with me? In the beginning, God creates mankind in His image and likeness. And then He says, He blesses them. He says, increase in number, rule over the fish in all of creation. The word rule means to have dominion. Or a better translation is to steward all of creation. And scholars even go uh, further to say that from the beginning, God says, be my representatives on earth. That representing God on earth in Genesis is what it means to live in His image. This is some heavy theology, isn't it? That from the beginning, humanity was invited to partner with God in representing Him in all of creation. So my suggestion, and this is just a minor point, that anything that's true of Christianity should be true for humanity. So the point I want to make is to be a witness of Jesus Christ is to live fully human. To live as a witness of Jesus Christ is what it means to live as fully human. Now most of us, we take that and immediately we apply it to ourselves. And it's an invitation. We've talked about this, that the Spirit comes to empower you for witness as an individual So you take your gifts, your intellect, your social capacities, your emotional capacities, your spiritual capacities, your intellectual capacities, your physical capacities, everything that makes you you, and you offer that to God and and reveal Him on earth through your life. So whether you work at a school, in a hospital, on a staff, at a church, it does not, whether you're unemployed, whether you live in a home or you're homeless, God invites you to see your life in a way that represents Him wherever you go. Are we on the same page? This is what Acts 1-8 means. But it doesn't just mean you as an individual. Humanity was designed to live in perfect harmony, not just with God and not just as ourselves, but with each other. And I want to suggest that the greatest witness we can offer the world is how we live together. That quite simply, community is witness. So the point I want to make today is how community reveals God to the world. So, let's go to Acts chapter 2. So the Spirit of God, we talked about Acts 2 last week. Uh, The the disciples, about 120, are hanging out in the upper room. Um, They're just praying, enjoying each other, waiting for this thing called the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what to expect, and the Holy Spirit came, and it was crazy. It was weird, tongues of fire. Different languages were being spoken. It was absolutely chaotic and beautiful. And there was like this wind that wasn't a wind. And if you were here when Bill was talking about it, you would probably be more confused. Uh, I'm just kidding. Is he here? He was going to be here. No, he's not. Okay. Um, I can talk bad about him all day. Um, so I'm going to Acts 2. And um, so, so he talked. So that was the experience. And what happens? 
people from all over the world, from different languages, speaking different languages, hear praises being offered to God. And Peter stands up, this, this timid at some point, not timid, but he, was, um, he had failed Jesus previously a couple weeks ago. We saw him um, denying the very uh, existence of Jesus, denying uh, being a follower of Jesus. And then we don't know what happens to him except on Pentecost Sunday, he stands up in front of a massive crowd and speaks as a prophet and says, this is what's going on. This is the end days. And the, the response to the crowd, numbering in 3,000, at least that's how many came to faith, is what do we do when he says, well, repent and be baptized. And so 3,000 people are saved. So for those of you that, are, that love house church, I love house church too. But from the moment the church was born, it already had over 3,000 people. So we can't help but notice that there has to be larger gatherings. That's part of what it means to be in community. So they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Luke records what happens in Acts. It's kind of like Acts, you could say, is what happens when Jesus leaves. That's the book of Acts in a nutshell. What happens to these guys when Jesus leaves? And we see that the Spirit comes. Now, this is what I love. We're going to go to look at verse 42. He says, Be my witnesses. And the first picture we have after the Holy Spirit comes is this snapshot picture of what it means to be a part of the church. A snapshot picture of what the church does. So a bunch of people like us, filled with the Holy Spirit, and Luke tries to capture the very essence of this explosive new thing that comes out of the Holy Spirit when people gather around Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And this is what he says. This is what the church did. They devoted themselves, this is uh, verse 42, chapter 2, page 759. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily of those who were being saved. This is the first picture, the first image we have of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Of what it means to be together with other people that say, yes, I believe. Yes, He is risen. What happens? What happens? The mission is to be the witness. And what happens when this witness of individuals come together and reveal God? They have perfect harmony in relationships. Do you, do you sense like this kind of unique perspective? I mean, let's just go through. I want to break it down and we'll, we'll talk about what this looks like. Uh, it says they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. The idea is that they continually devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus. When the church comes together, it should be devoting themselves to this, the teachings of Jesus. We know it through scripture, but we, we are committed to the things that Jesus taught us. That's what the church did. It's centered around the scriptures and the teachings of the apostles. They um, will skip fellowship. We're going to land there. But they broke bread together. That's a, that's a way of they ate meals together. But more importantly, they ate a specific meal together. They came together around communion, Lord's Supper. And we'll talk about what that means in a little bit. It says that they uh, committed themselves to prayer. And the idea of prayer in the Jewish concept is it's not just praying out to God or listening to God, but it's worship. 
they offered their lives in worship. Their lives reflected this idea that there is a God and they're in communion. They're in right relationship with God. So everything they did was involving this, horiz- uh, this vertical relationship with God. It says that they were filled with uh, awe and wonder. And then it says that they were together and they had everything in common. They had a shared experience about what was going on. And this is the one that trips me out. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Does, is anyone like me that reads that and say, thank God that was in the first century? Does anyone else have this, this hint of that? That's, they're talking about tithing. Acts 4 talks about uh, very specific people selling everything they own. That wasn't prescriptive. That wasn't what was expected. They weren't selling everything. They were just living in this weird reality, which is that there are people, when you, when you come together in community, that don't have enough. And then there are people that have enough, and that when you are called to be a witness, this isn't okay. That somewhere along the lines, in, in, in when you're revealing Jesus to the world, and when you're living truly as a human, as a full human being, there's a tension be- between those that are in relationship with you that don't have homes, and those that have extra homes. That those that don't have enough meal of food for their kids and those that have some extra, what happened in the first century expression of the this, this, this spirit bringing community is that they met right here. I don't think that the apostles began to strategize through social media how to make the connections work. I don't think that they got a list together, although they did get a list together, it says that in Acts chapter 6, at first, I think what happened was people just were filled with compassion because they recognized that God was so generous that they began to share. What a novel concept. They began to look at people's needs and said, I won't stand for you not having enough, not on my watch, not in his house. His house being us as the people. We are the household of God, not a nightclub or, or a building. So that the, the Spirit comes, they devote themselves to the teaching. There's miracles, there's prayer, there's eating. And it says that they gather in the temple courts and then they gather in each other's homes. And it says that when, when the Spirit of God comes on the community, they have everything in common and they share their stuff. There's enough to go around. There's... Uh, people that are walking in need that are met by people that have the resource to meet their needs. That's revolutionary. That it wasn't necessarily strategized by the the administrative geniuses that know how to exactly make the tangible connection and make the handoff for what exactly is needed, but rather they lived in relationship and intentionality and they were willing to, to model to the rest of the world what it means to be fully human or more importantly, what it means to have a life of resurrection that they shared. That it wasn't a question of 10%. Are you kidding? 
Imagine if that's what it is. Because you know what 10% represents for us? It says that God's kind of generous. Because the thing about sharing and the thing about generosity is for the early disciples, it became about what type of God do you worship? Do you worship a God who's given everything he has to be in right relationship with you, to restore all that he has? Do you worship a God who's generous? Or do you worship a God who's stingy? Who's holding off a little bit to make sure you have your act together? Make sure his needs are met and his financial goals are set. Do you know what I'm talking about? The question becomes, what kind of God do you worship? And the first century said we worship a generous God. Now I want to say this. This isn't a text against being wealthy at all. Because the movement spread because wealthy people shared what they had. Some people are here, make money, and that's what they're gifted at. They make lots of money. <laughs> they know how to make money. And they use it for the kingdom. That's exactly what we're talking about. But it's not about when you get wealthy. It's about what do you have that you can share? How do you become creative to those in our community that don't have homes, that ride bikes here? How do you get in relationship to say, hey, let me help you with those tires. Let me fix your situation just through relationship. That's one example of how this early community was a witness. You with me? That one hurts, huh? A little bit. A little bit because it goes it goes right to our wallet which means it goes to our heart that's a sensitive place right our hearts unless we have the walls up and it's just bouncing off everything I'm saying just bouncing off saying the church wants money I don't want money I want you to care for those that don't have enough in our church and I don't want to be responsible for it not to be crude I want the body of Jesus to rise up and help each other out just a thought so that's one thing I don't know where that came from, but it came. It's all good. Do you guys want to laugh a little bit? How about I do this? Before I make this next point, let's ease up the tension because I feel it. So I don't know if you saw this in my post, but there was a car accident right in front of the walkway as you walk into Cohiba t this morning. A guy, I uh, thought he was going in reverse, and he went straight into the pole, and it nearly shattered the window at, out front downstairs. So. The early service was walking in the back door through Middle Earth, also known as the mezzanine, and um, where we store everything. And so I thought I, came, I would come up with clever uh, titles for that sermon, because everyone saw the car accident that was parked right outside of our Cohiba. The first title was, Jesus Take the Wheel. <laughs> Second title is, uh, Do You Feel Like You're, you're in Drive, But Really in Reverse? seven gears of spiritual life um, and then the third title was drive through church fast track to real community and um, okay now that that tension's gone let's go back into the word okay it also says something else it says this Acts chapter 2 um, it says a couple times all over the place that they had everything in common and it says they devoted themselves, I'm sorry, verse 42, to fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship isn't the word that describes the little meet and greet section for two minutes that you, before you sit down in your seats. It isn't the word, some of us think it's the word that happens when we do potlucks together. It's not just that. It is, but it's not just that. Fellowship it comes from this Greek word koinonia. 
comes from this uh, word that has to do with commonality. It has to do with commonness and a shared experience. It's what happens when the Spirit fills a community and they're on mission and they have prayer and teaching and miracles and signs and wonders and, 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 and this cost of giving what I have away, releasing what I have so that you can receive enough to go around. All of that which we just read is the, the word fellowship in a nutshell. I want to suggest that fellowship is the key to witness as a community. You see, fellowship, ah, man, how many of us have had those experiences where we were on a mission trip and we were with a, people, a group of strangers for three months and we met every week, but then when we went to India, for example, um, we, we had two weeks in this foreign country and we came back and all of a sudden there was this thing that happened over here and now we're best friends and, and laughing and talking with the people that were once strangers. Have you had that experience? And you've been a part of a team. I, I have a friend who just won the national championship for crew for a specific race. He, their team, um, they were part of a novice team, a group of people that had never rode in their lives, competed after nine months, and won the national championship against people like Notre, Notre Dame, Stanford, UCI, Michigan, um, uh, and Virginia. This was a, a community college of no, people that have never done it that one. Now he describes the victory as being absolutely amazing. Could you imagine winning the national championship of anything? Just how, how exciting and just you become the number one play, team out there. From not knowing, not even from throwing up when you started rowing in the beginning to winning everyone, people like Stanford. That, is, that just blows my mind. But that, and, and let me go one further, a bunch of strangers to a bunch of young college students that are best friends that this guy is mentoring and giving them life advice and they're making decisions about what college they're going to go to after this based on his advice. How did he go from a stranger to that? How do you go from not rowing to being national championship? And he would say that victory came at a cost. And the cost, the victory wasn't because he just showed up one day to an event, sat on a seat or rowed. But it came when he was there early in the morning, day after day after day, wanting to quit because the coach insulted him, wanting to quit because his teammates weren't getting it, wanting to quit because one of his teammates was talking trash. I'm just making that part up. But wanting to quit after it got hard and he was pushing himself to the limits, but he knew that there was a bigger picture in, in there, that they were, they were going to compete for a prize. And at some level, he won because he showed up day after day after day and that experience of winning was a shared experience over the last nine months if you've been at any part of sports team where you've had to give more than you thought you could give physically emotionally mentally then you know what the early new testament writers were describing when they say fellowship it is that intangible experience that you can only grasp when you are fully in when you have given everything you can, when it comes at a cost, when there's a culture created. Are you with me? So the early church was called to be witnesses together. There's a Newsweek article that came out right before Easter this last year on April 8th. And I don't know if you caught the title or read the article, 
the article was uh, follow Jesus and forget the church or forget the church and follow Jesus um, and it was uh, an interesting article written by a Christian but it really highlighted what's happening to our generation that many many people are leaving uh, Christian churches to follow Jesus alone they're not leaving Jesus, they're leaving the church. And you've heard many people say that don't walk in, in the faith, that the, the, number, most, uh, the number one reason they're not a Christian is because of Christians. The number one problem with Christianity is Christians, not Jesus. And there's this whole theme going out in our society, if you pay attention, that people love Jesus, they love His teachings, they hate Christians, they hate the church. Because why? The church doesn't look like stuff we just talked about does it? How many of us have been a part of the communities that are gossiping, that are, are using power over to manipulate, to get their way rather than to serve? That where you walk in and you feel like this is about someone else's steeple, if you know what I mean. How many of you have been a part of communities where things got rough in conflict and you, you had to leave that community. How many of you attend the garden because you've been hurt by the church? The church isn't plan B. It is the plan. From Genesis chapter 1, God has been wanting to partner with people to reveal who He is to all of creation. And He's using people, broken people like me, like you, to do that very thing and to learn how to live the way we were intended to live from Genesis before sin entered into the world. To live in perfect harmony, not just with God, not just with ourselves, but with each other. How many of you know this is hard work? How many have been a part of that community where it just, it just explodes and it's torn apart? But how many of you have been a part of a community where there's, there's this thing, where these, they, they just, friends show up to your house when you and your spouse are and a wife and just bring some pizza and a movie and say, let's hang out. Or that gave you that text message when, when you just needed it in that moment. How many of you walk with people that know your deepest, darkest secrets and still say to you, it's okay, he's risen? How many of you are, are in the seasons of doubt and despair, are able to go to a group of people and say, this is where I am, and for them to say, cool, it's all good, I want some pizza. Let's pray for that, no big deal. This is what it means to be witnesses as the church. This is what we're pursuing at the garden. Brothers and sisters, if you think you could be a part of the garden and not be a part of a community group, you're wrong. Can you really walk with people once a week on Sunday in a way that reveals your needs being met, in a way that extends yourself in a way that you can give everything you have, your gifts, your talent, your resources, so that there can be witness to the world. Do you really have that type of communion with others, that community, really, outside of intimate, intentional community that we find outside of Sunday? Maybe you have it, but the invitation is to be in. Fellowship isn't going to happen on Sunday fully. It's going to happen when you choose to let go of your preferences to let go of your expectations, to show up to a group and say, what can I give here rather than what can I receive? It shows up when, when, when there's conflict 
rather than taking one foot out the door, taking both feet in the door and saying, I'm going to see you through. Let's fight our way into restoration and reconciliation because that's what the Spirit does. The early church had Gentiles and Jews. Jews were told their entire lives that Gentiles were unclean. To be unclean was to be outside of the camp of the Jewish community. So when the church comes, when the Holy Spirit fills these people, all of a sudden they're wrestling through this whole identity problem. These people don't wash their hands. They don't eat, uh, they eat pork and certain types of fish. And they do things and eat meats sacrificed to idols. How do we deal with that in a loving community? Galatians 3 says there is neither Greek or Jew, male or female. Are you male or female in a culture where females have no rights? That we're all equal? There's no slave or free? That in Christ, according to Ephesians 2, he's making a new humanity? What does new humanity sound like? Does that sound like Genesis? So ask yourself, have you been petty? Are you here as a consumer? Because it's convenient to show up on Sunday. It's convenient to, because you're so busy during the week that you can't seem to find, find the time. Or do you not know that we can't do this alone? The idea of being a Christian, a solo Christian, is false. The moment you enter into a relationship with God is the moment He invites you to enter into a relationship with other people. And what does that relationship look like? Love. You with me? So, witness. Our ability to stay unified despite diversity is the greatest witness we can offer this community called the city of Long Beach. We, coming together, bringing our resources, sharing our needs, loving, embracing, learning the language of forgiveness. You want to know the secret ingredient to how to be in community? It's forgiveness. I've led, I've led a community group for a while. I don't lead the one now. But uh, I've led a couple of, I think, four different community groups. And uh, I'll tell you this. I, I've had dozens of gatherings that all we did was do conflict resolution. I'm the lead pastor of this church, and yet I can't stop helping myself in creating conflict. What do you do in conflict? You resolve. What do you do when it's your fault? You apologize. What do you do when you've been harmed? You learn how to forgive. You want to know the secret to community? It's forgiveness. When someone wrongs you, you forgive. When you've wronged someone, you ask for forgiveness. Unity, and excuse me, community is witness. How we live together is how the world will know that there is a God period. You with me? So, um, this morning, we're going to do an ancient practice of communion, the Lord's Supper, or Eucharist. Eucharist means thanksgiving. In the Greek, it's two words. It means good gift. It's such a great way of describing this. It's, it's just a cracker dipped in some juice. And it says that every time we gather, Jesus says, every time you gather, do this. Take the cracker, the bread, and, and the juice or the wine and, and remember me. What are we remembering? We're remembering that it's a good gift that Jesus had to give everything so that we can receive. And what are we receiving? 
we, we, we first receive the forgiveness of sins, the very thing that's kept us from God. So we receive right relationship with God, but also we receive our full identity, that we share in this identity that we're no longer seen as, as sinners. We're, Paul says you're holy, you're saints, your lives are hidden in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You're a beloved. He's well pleased with you. You receive that identity. How, is that good news? Gosh, that's good news. Do you know I have to pray every single day that I'm his beloved because I forget every single day? Because I've made my life about what I do, proving to people that I'm good enough, rather than recognizing that Jesus doesn't even begin his ministry until God says, you are my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. Imagine if we live with that confidence every day. What would happen? So you receive your identity. You receive... Um, uh, uh, right relationships with people. Because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can now enter into right relationship with each other. So the first thing we do is remember. The second thing is we receive. We receive all this great stuff. And the third thing is we participate. When we take this cracker, we're, we're participating. We're saying, Christ's body broken for me, Christ's blood shed for me. And we're also saying, I proclaim that Jesus is Lord. It's a proclamation of faith. But lastly, and this is probably one of the most important things, is that taking the Eucharist together as a church, we proclaim unity among believers. That we say to each other, I forgive you, forgive me. That I embrace you as you are, not as you should be. That you've harmed me and I need to let go. That's what we do. So, I'm going to pray. We're going to have some music. But I want to invite everyone to come and do that to take the cracker, dip it in the juice, and recognize what it represents. Some of you, before you come up, you need to do this. You first need to receive God's grace for you. Some of you think it's about what you can do for Him, and it's not. You just need to receive forgiveness and grace and be washed in your new identity. Some of you... It says, don't even go to the altar if you're holding something against someone. Or if you know a brother has wronged you, or you've wronged them. Make peace. Some of you are here, and you have rented out free space in your mind to people that have harmed you in the past. Family members. Friends. Communities. Churches. Divorced family members. Parents. Your spouse. Some of you are here and you need to release yourself from that. You need to forgive. So response might be, before you come here, go make some phone calls. Write a letter. Because the truth is, you can't participate in this fully, can you? Because you have to be willing to give everything in order to receive. Let's pray.